Hey, welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's awesome to have you with us. Hello to everybody joining us online. And uh, if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option. If you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service, just like you can't high five yourself, uh, you also uh, shouldn't do life alone. And so that's what groups are all about. You've got a catalog on your chairs. Check those out. Take them home with you. Uh, Jump into a group. All of those groups kick off in just a couple of weeks. Also, I just want to say this uh, real quickly during this service. We have uh, an 8 a.m. service. I'm just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. And uh, there's plenty of seats at 8 a.m. This one and 11 tend to be more like this. Uh, But if you're like, man, it's a little bit cozy in here, uh, 8 a.m., you've you've got a lot more options. I just wanted to throw that out there. Do with that what you will. Uh, We're in this series we kicked off last week called For Better or For Worse. And the goal with this is, you know, our mission as a church is just to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. We want to introduce people to Jesus, let Jesus do what he wants to do in their lives, and walk together as we strive to follow Jesus. And uh, not only in, do we want to do that in every aspect of our lives, but we want to do that with marriages as well. And so that's kind of the goal behind this series is that uh, we're strengthening marriages, strengthening families. And so uh, at the same time, I want you to know this. Uh, we, God is way more concerned with your future than he is with your past, regardless of where you've been. This is all about helping you move forward. So whether you are uh, dating, whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, single again, regardless of where you fall in that relational spectrum, the things we're going to talk about today are things that you can put into practice and apply to any relationship. And I think you'll find some things that are really helpful as we move forward uh, through today. And uh, the other thing is, I want to say this, if you're, um, if you're in high school, if you're uh, in college, if you're a young adult uh, and you're not yet married, this is a great time to learn these things before you actually get married. Uh, don't wait until you're married to learn these things. And so uh, that's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't read anything about parenting until I was a parent. That was a bad idea. I should have read that beforehand, you know. And so here's the deal. Uh, Last week, we kicked off this series talking about three roles of marriage. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to check that out. Today, we're talking about conflict, conflict. And we all know that relationships that start with a lot of sizzle can sometimes begin to fizzle, right? It's like any time I do a wedding, I officiate weddings oftentimes throughout the year, and uh, you can tell the different people in the audience that are looking at the bride and groom. So you've got like little girls, and they're just like, oh, like she's a princess, you know? And then you have like engaged couples and they're just like, we would never do that. And they're like taking notes. And then you have like newlywed couples and they're just like so excited for their friends. And you have people who've been married for a long time and they're just like laughing. They're just like, they have no idea. Because relationships that can begin with a lot of sizzle can sometimes start to fizzle. Uh, never is this more apparent than if you look at the last 50 years of music, I don't know if we'd have the amazing music that we have if it wasn't for the breakup song. Right? Breakup songs reveal that relationships can go sideways. I remember my first breakup song. I was 11 years old. She was 12. And uh, we were going together for six days. And then she broke my heart. And uh, I found healing in the words of a song. All right? So listen, I'm going to sing the first part of the song. We're going to do this like name that tune style, okay? So I'm going to sing the first line, and then if you know it, you finish it. I'm putting myself out there, so don't leave me hanging, all right? Here we go. Shot through the heart, and you're to blame, darling. I became a man that day. Yeah, fast forward to eighth grade. Her name was Annie. 
And uh, she moved away before I even had the chance to ask her out. That was a bummer. But this one starts with a little spoken word. We're reaching back into the archives now. Girl, you know we belong together. You're playing with my heart. And then it jumps to the chorus. Although we've come to the end of the road. Yeah, little boys to men. Come on. First service, there was like two people that knew boys to men. I was like, we got to go Taylor Swift on this, right? Like, we are never, ever, ever. Yeah, everybody knows that one. Okay. Now, probably the most popular uh, breakup song of all time goes all the way back to the 60s, and it goes like this. You've lost that love and feeling, and it's... Gotta get the woe-woes. That's right. Because every relationship hits that season where they've lost that love and feeling, right? So how do you, how do you make sure that when that happens, that you can actually navigate that together. And it never starts out that way, does it? Because when we say, I do, we mean it with all of our heart. And then life happens, doesn't it? And we kind of get into this routine. We get into a rut. And pretty soon, our relationship just starts to feel like, oh, man, this is, this is not what I signed up for. It feels like we're just stuck in a routine, stuck in a rut. It starts to feel boring. Or uh, our personality differences cause us to clash a whole bunch. Or uh, we make bad decisions that lead to a breakdown in trust. Or it's possible that we just don't know how to communicate with each other. Or the busyness of life causes us to drift. And before we realize that we've drifted further and further apart and we start to feel like roommates and not lovers. And regardless of the condition of your marriage relationship today, we're going to focus on giving you some tools to rewrite the script. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what demographic you fit into. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how old you are, what you do for a job, what your personality is like. It doesn't even matter uh, what your church background is, how much you love Jesus, how much you read the Bible or pray. Relationships are tough. They're hard work. And when you're going through a difficult season, it's easy to think that you're the exception. It's easy to think nobody else is going through what I'm going through. It's easy to think that this is just you, but I promise if you saw the other side of couples that you think have it all together, it's difficult for them too. I promise you. And I'm guessing that most of you have gone through a season, maybe you're in a season right now, where you think about the title of this series, For Better or For Worse, and you're thinking to yourself, it's definitely worse. And I get it. And some of you are currently checked out right now, and you feel like your only options are like, man, this is such a difficult season, and you feel like my only options are A, live in misery, or B, start over with somebody else. And that's just, you're just like, I'm checked out. Enough is enough. And if that's the case, I am begging you to check back in. And here's why. All throughout the scriptures, if you look at the character of God, you learn very quickly that God has a pattern to his character, that God continually renews and restores and he heals and he brings beauty from ashes and things that you thought couldn't ever come back, he's able to restore and bring back. And he can do that with you and he can do that with your marriage. Also, I know this, it doesn't happen quickly. This is a three-week series. So if you find yourself in a situation in your marriage where you've built a wall, my guess is it didn't take you three weeks to build it. It's not going to take you three weeks to tear it down. But here's what I can promise you. God is way more concerned with your future than he is with your past. And if you can put some of these things into practice that we're talking about in these weeks, over time, it will help you. It will help you in your marriage. 
The goal of this series is not to eliminate conflict or eliminate trouble from your marriage, but to help us understand how God designed marriage and how God created us so that we can navigate it together. And here's the good news. Even if you're not like a faith person, God person, church person, whatever, statistics tell us that over 70% of people who fight through a season in their marriage, a difficult season in their marriage, are extremely happy in that marriage within three to five years. But there's just seasons sometimes that you've got to fight through. And you might be in one of those seasons. I want to encourage you to take some of the things from this series and put them into practice. So today we're talking about conflict. Because conflict comes up in all relationships. So whether you're married or not, you can apply this today. Let me share a couple of truths about conflict. Number one, conflict arises from unmet expectations. This is where conflict generally comes from because we have expectations. We have a picture of what life is going to look like. And then when it doesn't go that way, conflict often arises. And particularly in marriage, when you think about getting married, we imagine how our lives are going to be. And that's not wrong. That's totally natural. I imagine there are certain things that my wife's going to do because that's just what my mom did. And my wife imagines there's going to be certain things that I'm going to do because that's just what her dad did. And so each of us kind of brings this set of wishes and hopes and dreams and desires with us into that marriage relationship. And that's totally natural. Uh, uh, we both imagined how our marriage would be scheduled and how we'd handle holidays. Will we go to her family, my family? How will we do that? Maybe every other. Maybe we'll do our own thing. And we've got this idea, right? I imagine that we'll live in a certain type of house. I imagine how many kids we might have. Uh, I come into marriage with certain expectations of what my wife won't wear to bed at night. Oh, that's a lot of flannel. Wow. <laughs> you going ice fishing? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and wishes, dreams, desires, that's all perfectly natural for us. But here's what happens. Sometimes those things then become expectations, and the minute they become expectations, it's really difficult to give and receive love in the midst of expectations because now it's just something that is expected. You owe it to me. You, that's just, you owe it to me. We got married and now this is what you owe me. This was the contract. That's why when we face conflict, James, the brother of Jesus, who became a leader of the first century church, actually had a lot to say about conflict and relationships. And while he's not speaking specifically to marriage, it certainly applies. In fact, here's what he writes. He says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, a couple of disclaimers. James is not, like, there are not people running around ancient Jerusalem killing each other, okay? This is metaphorical. The other thing is, it's not that the desires themselves are evil. When you, when you translate this uh, from the original, what he's talking about is the, the way that we go about trying to get our desires met that leads us to evil. And so uh, desires in and of themselves are natural. He, he says evil desires because it's describing the way that we go about trying to extract what we want from other people. And we hurt people in the process. And your temptation is to think the reason you're having problems relationally is because of something that's going on among you. And James says, no, it's not what's going on among you. It's what's going on within you. You have something that you wanted and you didn't get it. In fact, let's be honest, almost every conflict that you and I have ever experienced in our lives can really be boiled down to one simple statement. I didn't get my way. Right? Think about it. Every conflict you've ever had with your kids that your kids had with one another was because one of them just didn't get their way. And so they're trying to extract it. And this happens in marriage. The idealistic view of marriage that you envisioned in your mind isn't unfolding the way that you thought it would. And so now you're trying to extract from your spouse what you feel you're owed. And it leads to conflict. 
And the truth is, that's a lot of pressure for a spouse, isn't it? The reality is that your spouse is not designed to fulfill you as a person, to complete you. Jerry Maguire was wrong. (laughs) That is not a spouse task. In fact, if you're like, man, I'm just an unfulfilled single person and another unfulfilled single person, and you decide to get married to be fulfilled, you're just two unfulfilled married people. And it leads to a lot of conflict because your fulfillment, your identity is not found in your spouse. That's a lot of pressure to put on a marriage. It's found in God. That's not a spouse task. That's a God task. Understanding I'm created. My identity is found as a child of God first and foremost. And then I bring that with me into marriage. And if we don't have that understanding, pretty soon what is ideal becomes an ordeal. We start looking for a new deal. And that's why this is so important to understand. See, what can help us in conflict is this. Good communication enables healthy conflict. Conflict isn't bad. It's sometimes the way that we try to navigate conflict because what separates good marriages from marriages that sour is not the absence of conflict. It's how they handle conflict when it comes up. And good communication actually enables us to handle conflict in a way that's healthy. So what if we could give you some tools today to help you navigate conflict in a way that helps you rewrite the script where you can move through any situation as a married couple and not destroy each other in the process. That's what we want to do. And there's a big difference between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict, right? Some conflicts are necessary. They can actually help you grow in your relationship, but only if you know how to communicate with each other so that you can navigate it together. And part of what makes that so difficult is that we both brought all of our own wishes and dreams and desires with us into this marriage. And so if your goal is to get that other person to sort of meet your expectations, it's always going to lead to conflict. But instead, if your goal is to try to satisfy the dreams and desires of your spouse, to be their biggest cheerleader, then you can figure out how to navigate issues and conflicts when they arise. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the first century would write this to followers of Jesus. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, again, every scripture that we're talking about today isn't written to married people. It's written to people in general who are doing their best to live this life in relationships. But you can apply every one of these to your marriage relationship. He doesn't say they don't have faults, so that's why they're easy to love. He says we make allowance for each other's faults because of our love. And that means that we face significant differences and we make room for each other to continue to grow. Dr. John Gottman, we referenced him last week, is a... a, a, psychologist and has something called the Marriage Institute where he studies married couples. He says this, that in marriage, oftentimes what happens is people change and they forget to tell each other. Isn't that true? Like we've been married for almost 25 years and we are not the same people we were the day we got married. But nobody made that announcement. We just morph over time, you know? Nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, hey, just to let you know, I've sort of shifted in this area. And that can lead to conflict. And so with that in mind, today I want to equip you with some habits of healthy communication. In the time that we have, these are not going to blow your mind in terms of like, oh, I've never heard that before. In terms of information, it's going to, you're going to find yourself going, duh. But if you will apply these things to your life, to your relationships, to your marriage, these will really make the difference. So here's how to navigate conflict in all relationships, but particularly in marriage. Number one. Learn the difference between problems and tensions. 
This is so critical. When my wife and I first got married, uh, there were differences and there's things that you just have to manage because you're different, and then there's problems. And what happens is, when we first got married, we thought that when it came to like just simple tensions, that we had to solve every one of those. But they're not problems that you have to solve, they're just tensions that you have to manage. And the, and the challenge is understanding which is a problem and which is a tension. And John, John Gottman, Dr. Gottman, in, in his book, uh, Making Marriage Work, uh, he says that 70% of our conflicts in marriage are perpetual. They're never going away. Isn't that good news? <laughs> 70%. You're like, oh, it's so encouraging. It's because it's just who you are as people. One of you is a night owl and one of you is an early bird, right? Like, like one of you uh, is vegan and one of you likes good food. Uh, one, of you, <laughs> one of you enjoys professional football and the other one is a Detroit Lions fan. Like it's just... It's just one of those things. And the most common differences we face are gender differences. We talked about that last week, right? In fact, I came across this, uh, this week. It says, how to impress a woman. Compliment her. Cuddle her. Kiss her. Caress her. Love her. Comfort her. Protect her. Hug her. Hold her. Spend money on her. Wine and dine her. Listen to her. Care for her. Stand by her. Support her. Go to the ends of the earth for her. How to impress a man. Show up naked. Bring beer. Nailed it. <laughs> We've got differences that are just gender differences, right? And there's tension around those things. And here's what we did when we first got married. It became a problem to solve. And if you are always trying to solve something that is simply a tension that you just have to learn how to manage, it's going to constantly lead to conflict. You have to understand the difference between a problem and a tension. I have friends who were married for a long time, and he would always get frustrated with the fact that she was disorganized with the way that she uh, managed the house. And they went to counseling, and after being married for 20-some years, the counselor looked at him and said, has she ever been organized? In the 20-some years you guys have been married, has she ever been organized? He's like, no. Why would you think she's going to start? <laughs> it's a fair point. It really helped them to understand there's a big difference. Like, dude, she's never going to, it's just not who she is. That's not who you married. That's just a tension. Like, that's not a problem you have to solve. That's just a tension to manage. And when you start to understand the difference between those things, it can be really helpful. Uh, in Proverbs 13, it says this. Solomon writes, joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. See, wisdom and understanding are two cornerstones of healthy communication because understanding asks this question. Why do they feel the way that they do about this particular area? And then wisdom asks this question. Now that I understand where they're coming from, what's the best way to manage it moving forward? And Solomon says that if we can have both of those things, where are they coming from? Help me understand where they're coming from and help me to manage it moving forward that we can actually experience joy in our relationships as we navigate that together. Now, the other thing that we do with tensions and problems is that we try to manage problems and not solve them. Some things aren't tensions, some things are problems. And you can't sweep it under the rug and hope it goes away. Abuse, abandonment, you know, infidelity, those are major problems. And you can't just manage those things, you gotta solve those things. You gotta deal with those things and face them head on. Problems don't go away by ignoring them. You gotta get them on the table and deal with them. But learning the difference between problems and tensions can really help you resolve and navigate conflict when it arises. Here's a second thing that's really helpful. Guard your tone of voice. This is one of those duh things, right? 
Guard your tone of voice. Everything you communicate has a tone of voice to it. And oftentimes, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. And it communicates either I care about you or I'm only thinking about myself. Our words have attitudes attached to them. Our tone of voice reveals arrogance or humility. It shows I'm interested in you or I'm bored with you. It can reveal compassion or insensitivity. It can build frustration or it can build security. Again, in Proverbs, great wisdom from Proverbs chapter 15, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Sometimes even when we have conflict and we have to navigate it, uh, we come at somebody, you know, especially our spouse, and we come at them, you know, torpedoes blazed and ready to, it's like a gentle answer can deflect anger. But harsh words make our tempers flare. I'll be honest with you, this is something I have had to work at in my life, in, in our marriage, is my tone of voice, because I was born with the gift of sarcasm. And it's something that I feel is important to share with those that I love. But oftentimes, my sarcasm gets communicated as biting criticism. So I got to guard my tone of voice. I have to use wisdom. Your tone of voice communicates a lot. Here's another one. Use wisdom in your choice of words. Not just how you say it, but what you say, right? You don't need me to tell you that words have power. If you're, if you're threatening divorce to, to leverage winning an argument, those words have power. They build insecurity. I wish you were more like so-and-so. That's a powerful thing to say. I can't stand it. I, I feel trapped in this relationship. Those are powerful words. You always do this. You never do this. Those are powerful words. And if you want to learn how to develop healthy communication with your spouse, you have to choose your words carefully. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that your words are like a spark that can set a forest on fire. A forest fire does massive amounts of damage, but it always starts with something small. It does more damage than you ever anticipated coming from a small spark. And he says, your words do the same thing. And if you're not careful, you say something, and in a moment, and it creates more damage than you ever intended for it to do. There's a, when I'm driving, I'm just in our family, kind of famous for taking the scenic route. Uh, that's what we call it, the scenic route, because I'm, I, I feel like I know a shorter way to get there, and it inevitably ends up being longer. <laughs> and so uh, oftentimes when we're driving, my wife will point that out and uh, be like, uh, I, I think if you go this way, it's going to be faster. I'm like, I know, I know what I'm doing. I got this. And so we're driving. Inevitably, it's longer. Oh, we, I love taking the scenic route, right? That's the, uh, the joke in our family. But sometimes that can lead to frustration in the car. And I'll never forget one time we were driving, and I'm like, I know the route, right? I'm, we're going to get there faster. And she's like, missed your turn. And I had a choice in that moment. What words are you going to use? And so I chose a phrase that starts with no and ends with Sherlock. <laughs> and that just brought us together. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now listen, that's a great filter. Is it good and helpful? And if it's not good and helpful, don't say it. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the scriptural equivalent of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And if you want your spouse to feel safe, guard your choice of words. Use words like, I love you, I'm proud of you, I trust you, I believe in you, I respect you. 
There's power in your words. Here's number five. Or number four, be aware of your body language. Be aware of your body language. This is important because uh, one of the things Dr. Gottman says is that he can tell the level of contempt that people have in their marriage based on how frequently they roll their eyes. That, that rolling your eyes on a regular basis is actually a sign of contempt for your spouse. In fact, he would say that if, if that's a habit that you're in with your spouse, do everything you can to break that habit. For some of you, like, this is like, you're walking home today and you're like, that changed our marriage, man. Like, we don't roll our eyes anymore. It's a game changer. Your facial expressions, your body movements, your hand gestures, your eyes, these things communicate. And if your nonverbals don't match up with the words you're saying, then it can be really difficult for your spouse to feel safe in conversations. Again, the Apostle Paul writes to people in the first century in Corinth and says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. And sometimes our body language doesn't match up to what we're saying. Like, like it's like a politician's apology. I'm sorry you're offended. You ever done that apology with your spouse? If the truth that I said offended you, I'm sorry. Those, those go over really well. Like, like I, I leveled the truth at you, and the fact that you got offended, that's kind of on you. But to appease that, let me just apologize. Just try that this week. Let's see how that goes. If you communicate indifference or a lack of respect to your spouse, then they're going to feel insecure in your relationship. So watch your choice of words, watch your tone of voice, and watch your body language. When you communicate, all of those things will help you to navigate conflict when it comes up. Number five, develop your listening skills. Isn't it true that people who talk all the time never learn anything new? And you know some of those people. It's like every conversation somehow just goes back to them. You're like, they, they have a difficult time learning anything new because they're always talking about them. And if you want to learn something new about your spouse and seek to understand their perspective and appreciate their point of view, then you've got to be quiet and listen. And unfortunately, we have entire college courses designed on being, uh, helping people become better communicators and nothing designed on helping people become better listeners. Generally speaking, now sometimes there's, this is, there's exceptions to this, but generally speaking, marriages that fall apart, they don't do it because of some massive, you know, explosive ordeal. Most marriages erode over time because one or both partners have a difficult time listening and understanding each other. Again, James, the brother of Jesus, writes about this and says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. What if, what if you just did that in your marriage? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. I mean, that could be a game changer. There's wisdom in this, even from the Proverbs. King Solomon writes this, spouting off. I love that language. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Or how about this? Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and shut off the flow. <laughs> now, I wouldn't suggest using that exact verbiage with your spouse. <laughs> hey, Proverbs, shut your flow. But I would suggest using that with yourself because here's what we like to say here at Westbridge, that the scriptures are so much better 
when we use them as a mirror and not as a magnifying glass. It's so much better when I use the scriptures to look at myself and say, how can I apply this to me? It doesn't work very well when you point it and weaponize it against someone else and say, hey, you should really learn this, particularly with your spouse. But what if I just turned this inward and said, what would it look like for me to be quick to listen and slow to speak? What would it look like for me if I know I'm about to say something and I just go, "Mm," Solomon said, shut the flow. When you listen to someone, you're communicating that you value them and you respect them and you appreciate them. And before we're married, we have our own set of beliefs and worldviews and interpretations. And if you're just gonna bring those into your marriage and try to just leverage that against your spouse, marriage is about two becoming one. So if you're just gonna hold on to your own worldview and your own perspectives and your own way of seeing things, then you may as well just remain single. Marriage is saying the two of us are becoming one. And so developing listening skills are gonna help you navigate conflict. Number six, focus on the issue at hand. This is so critical. This is so critical. In marriage, it's so easy to want to win the argument, right? It's like, well, I mean, when it comes to this particular issue that we're facing, I'm right, and I know I'm right, so it's really in both of our best interests if we both just agree that I'm right. And this is huge. Anyone's capable of pointing out problems. That's easy. Mature relationships are able to navigate conflict by working towards a solution to the issue at hand and not just focusing on winning an argument. Because anybody can just win an argument. But remember, in marriage, if it's just about winning the argument, when you're married, you're one. So that means if you win, you lose. Your goal should be to navigate the conflict. This isn't like, their problem. This is our problem. And so we want to work on this together. It's not husband versus wife. It's, no, no, no. Husband and wife together on the same page versus whatever the issue is. How do we solve this together? How do we handle this together? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, growing up, my parents had this rule. We never go to bed angry. We always, right, because this is a great verse, we always resolve things before we go to bed. And I, I saw this uh, on, uh, on, a, on a meme this last week. It's like, we always resolve things. We never go to bed angry. We've been awake for three weeks. <laughs> now, that's a great kind of rule of thumb, but sometimes there's things that can't be resolved. Like, if you're, if you're shouting at each other at 3 a.m. and you're not even human at this point, like, go to bed, you know, go the next day, resolve it. But here's the reality. The Apostle Paul says this because what happens is when we don't resolve things, when we don't uh, focus on the issue at hand, he says that anger gets inside of us and it creates a foothold for the devil. Now, this word devil is a word that's interpreted in different ways. It really just means the one who stands against, the one who opposes, or the one who accuses, the accuser. So here's what Paul's saying. When you don't focus on the issue, you end up focusing on the person across from the issue. And what happens is you actually allow the accuser to set up camp in your own mind. Here's how it shows up for us, right? We start to write, this is just human nature, you've experienced this, we start to write a story in our own minds about the other person's motives, don't we? And when it comes to their motives, we assume the worst. When it comes to our motives, we always assume the best. We had the best of intentions when we fall short, but when somebody else falls short, we, we assume the worst of motives. That's because the Apostle Paul says if you don't deal with it, if, you, if it goes too long, you let the accuser set up camp in your mind. 
and you start to write a story about your spouse that isn't true. And so, one of the best ways you can focus on the issue at hand is with this phrase. I feel. Okay, what is that? When you need to bring up an issue, when you need to talk to your spouse about an issue, when you need to deal with something, the best way to communicate it is, hey, here's how I feel. I I just want to communicate to you, this is what I'm feeling right now. Hey, when you said that, it made me feel like this. When you did that, it made me feel like this. You're not accusing them, you're not judging them, you're simply saying, I'm creating a platform so that you can understand where I'm coming from, and I'd love to know how you feel. And once you both arrive at some understanding, you don't even have to agree, but you both go, oh, now I understand where you're coming from, and you understand where I'm coming from. Now there's a platform to be able to tackle that issue together. And you're not trying to beat each other in an argument. And it can help you navigate the issue at hand without beating each other up trying to win. Hey, here's how I feel. Tell me how you feel. But you've got to focus on the issue at hand or you'll spend time beating each other up trying to win an argument. Number seven, choose to quickly forgive. Choose to forgive, but do it quickly. Choose to quickly forgive. In the day-to-day conflicts that tend to bury marriage relationships, you can begin to build up bitterness and resentment as your lives are busy and you're raising kids and you're working and all the things that go on. And if you don't deal with things, you can build up bitterness and resentment for your spouse. And a good marriage is really the union of two good forgivers. Because other than you, who do you know who's perfect? (laughs) See, anger and bitterness and resentment, they're like a cancer that destroys the person carrying them. When I'm bitter at somebody else, it doesn't hurt them, it hurts me. And if I choose not to forgive, that's like me drinking poison to try to hurt them. It doesn't make any sense. And the scriptures instruct us, and the Apostle Paul instructs us, and all throughout the New Testament, and Jesus himself instructs us, we are to forgive, not for their benefit, but for our own, to set us free from carrying the burden of bitterness and resentment. And so, again, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, be kind and loving to each other, forgive each other, because they deserve it. Nope. You forgive the same as God forgave you through Christ Jesus. I'm having a difficult time forgiving my spouse. Well, it's not about the fact that they deserve to be forgiven. You forgive based on what you've been forgiven. I look at all that I've been forgiven. I look at what what Jesus has done for me and all that he's forgiven me. That's where I find the strength to forgive somebody else. The Apostle Paul says we forgive not because they deserve it. We forgive because we have been forgiven by Jesus. And forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. It says, whatever I feel you took from me, whatever I feel you owe me, whatever I feel you stole from me by your actions, I'm choosing to wipe the slate clean. You don't owe me anymore. It's a decision. It's a moment. There's this idea, and it's a great phrase in the English language, forgive and forget. Doesn't that have a nice ring to it? And it's just not true. If I could forget, I would never need to forgive. Forgiveness is a decision that I make that says, I'm not going to hold that, that ledger of what I feel you owe me. But here's a balance that we have to understand. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. If trust has been broken in a relationship, forgiveness says, you don't owe me anymore. But trust is earned back over time through behavior. And, and what happens is sometimes I, I meet with couples and trust has been broken and they go, well, you know, I forgave they don't trust me yet. It's like, duh. Forgiveness 
It doesn't mean that trust is built back automatically. Forgiveness is a decision. Trust is earned back over time. Trust brings freedom back to the relationship over time. For some of you, you're experiencing tension and, and conflict in your marriage because you can't let go of something that they said or something that they did. You just can't figure out a way to forgive, and you're rewriting the story of your marriage because of your unwillingness to forgive. And so we're constantly writing a story about our spouse in our minds. So what's the story that you're writing? Forgiveness allows you to write the right story. See, uh, when I forget to rinse my dishes, my wife can either just write a story in her, in her mind about a thoughtless, lazy, insensitive husband who just happened to, you know, forget to rinse the dishes because he just doesn't care. Or she can write the story in her mind of a hardworking, thoughtful, loving husband who just happened to forget for the hundredth time. She can go, that's just a tension that needs to be managed, not a problem I got to solve. When she tells me she's going to pick something up for me and then she forgets, I can either write the story in my mind of an uncaring, self-absorbed, lazy, selfish wife, or I can write the story of an amazing wife, an amazing mom who is juggling so many different things in life and give her the benefit of the doubt. We're writing stories in our minds. What story are you choosing to write? Now, here's why these are so important. Your spouse may not remember exactly what you do or everything you say, but they will always remember how you make them feel. Your communication allows you to handle conflict when it comes up. Now, here's the last one. This is super important. Number eight, show lots of daily affection. Here's why this matters. Whatever you lack in your marriage on a day-to-day basis gets magnified during a conflict. And the way that you treat each other between conflicts Conflicts come up, conflict comes up, conflicts come up. But the way that you treat each other in between, the more love and kindness and affection that you show each other between the different points of conflict, it lessens the length, the duration, and the intensity of the conflict. See, if you lack those things, it gets magnified. Lack of respect, lack of love, lack of compassion or humility, a lack of patience or a lack of understanding or a lack of kindness. Those things get magnified then during conflict. So the Apostle Paul would write this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. If we do that in marriage, then what happens is we have this rhythm and this pattern of honoring each other and showing affection to each other. And healthy marriages do not grow out of a few, you know, incredible vacation moments every year. They grow out of the hundreds of little interactions every single day. Every day you're offering subtle actions to your spouse that are either building your marriage or eroding your marriage. So what are you offering? A smile? A a kind touch? A hug? Holding their hand? A small note left on the bathroom door? A pat on the butt? Or are you offering a facial scowl? and rolling your eyes, and a negative comment, and an underhanded dig, and a single finger salute. See, we've got to show affection to each other on a regular basis. Solomon writes this in Song of Solomon. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Here's a great practice. When you leave the house, wherever you're going, whether you both go out to work, or when when you separate from each other, in the beginning of the day, when you come back together, whenever you happen to do that. How do you separate and how do you come back together? These are opportunities to show affection. In fact, even in the midst of conflict, this is an opportunity for repair. So when you leave the house, is it like an evacuation? Gotta go, see ya! 
running late, right? Pop-tart hanging out of the mouth. <laughs> or is it, hey, give me a hug. I love you. I'll see you later. Is there a moment there? Because when we separate and when we reunite, those are opportunities to show affection. In fact, Dr. Gottman would say this, the optimal time is six seconds that we should actually embrace and kiss for six seconds. I think that's a great rule. In fact, that's a, like a six-second challenge this week to all married couples. When you leave the house and when you come back together, what if you took six to ten seconds and just embraced and gave each other a kiss? Even if you're in the midst of conflict, you know what this does? It provides opportunity for repair. It doesn't mean you've resolved the conflict, but it's just an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm committed to you. We haven't solved whatever this issue is that we have, but, but I just want you to know I'm for you, and I love you, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep working on this. You know what that does? It builds security in that relationship. So one of the best ways to do that is to embrace, say I love you when you leave and when you come back. Conflict is inevitable, but we can be proactive in how we communicate each other so that when it comes up, it doesn't destroy our friendship and our relationship. And we can navigate it together. We can make our marriage stronger. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus put us ahead of himself. He was quick to listen, slow to speak. In fact, he understands us. Scriptures tell us that we don't serve a God who lacks understanding, but he understands because he became human, so he understands our weaknesses, that when we pray to God, he knows what we go through, and that he was quick to listen and slow to speak, that he came into this world unable to speak. When he actually started to speak later on, people listened because they felt as though he understood. And then Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts who claim they saw him alive again, that means death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. And the goal is that we simply love our spouse and love others the way that God has loved us. If you've never said yes to that invitation to be a part of God's family, I want you to know you don't behave your way in, you don't earn your way in or church attend your way in. You can simply say yes to this invitation as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. So I pray yes to your invitation. Make me your son, make me your daughter and help me to follow you and your way of living life as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us, every one of us who are in high school, every one of us who are in college, every one of us who are uh, single, dating, engaged, married, single again, wherever we find ourselves, God, I pray that you would help us to love each other well as you have loved us. And that you would strengthen our marriages, strengthen our families, and may our lives point people to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.